objective, constructive, creative, solid Vox, the voice of intellectual adventure, proudly presents the Derby Report on the Solid Vox Network. Over to you, Michael Darby. Thank you, Protoss. This is Michael Darby, and for the Derby Report at Solid Vox, I'm pleased to welcome New Zealander Dr. Muriel Newman, BSc, PhD, at the Centre for Political Debate, former parliamentarian and deputy leader of Act New Zealand, which has been variously described as a classical Liberal Party, a party of morality, and a Libertarian Party. Since the September 2005 election, which interrupted her parliamentary career, Dr Newman has established a substantial web presence. And I ask you to write down her web address, which is http www.murielnewman.co.nz. Now, if you presently lack a keyboard or a writing device, don't worry, because I'll mention the address again later. Back now to Prodos for a very important message. Thanks, Michael. Let me tell you something very scary about robots. There are now factories run almost entirely by robots. Yes, real live robots. They build cars. They assemble refrigerators. They mine for precious minerals. There's almost nothing that robots can't do. And what's really scary is that soon we'll have factories run by robots building more robots. If you've seen movies like Terminator or iRobot with that big black hunk Will Smith, you'll know what I mean. Oh, yes, you'll know what I mean. But what's even more terrifying than robots, building robots, is when a domain name sells domain names. This is what it's come to. A dot com that sells dot coms, that sells them at prices that are frankly taking over this world. I love Prodos. Dot com now offers terrifying, death-defying low, low prices on dot com domains. $7.85 per year? It's like they're screaming at me, man. Buy a domain name. Buy a domain name. Get a dot com. $7.85 for God's sake. What's become of us? Damn you, capitalism! Damn you all! Look what you've done to my dot-com world. All right, go. Go to iloveprotoss.com for this godforsaken world. Cheapest dot-com domains. Oh, and by the way, you can also buy robots online at iloveprotoss.com. Yes, robots. Just visit our science education eShop. You love the online mega store that shouts, We love capitalism. iloveprotoss.com. And now we cross back to the Derby Report on the Solid Vox Network, the voice of intellectual adventure. Well, there you are. Only $7.85 Australian <laughs> or your own .com at iloveprodos.com. Yeah. And uh, speaking of uh, love and affection, a person who loves free enterprise and the human spirit is Dr. Muriel Newman, and she's there in New Zealand at this moment. I'm very pleased indeed to speak with you, Muriel. Now, let's start with a crisis which has been affecting New Zealand in recent days. I'd then like to talk about your background then let's uh, discuss the New Zealand electoral system, uh, learn a little bit about Act New Zealand from you, 
uh, we'll uh, refresh your mind with some of the quotations for which you think well known and give you a chance to expand on them. We'll touch on some current issues, and if there is time, let's talk about the future of Muriel Newman. Now, the issue which is uh, attracting interest at the moment is that unions have brought to the, their knees the public hospitals of New Zealand. Please tell us about it. Yes, thank you, Michael. Um, we've got a situation in New Zealand where the junior doctors, the registrars, are all out on strike. Some 17,000 patients who were going to be having surgery in the next uh, week have been sent home. And really it's a pretty big crisis when you think about it because New Zealanders in general, many of them don't have any private health insurance and many, of course, of the private uh, hospitals can't deal with some of the major complaints that people have. And really it's just a struggle for power with the unions against the employers as they seek to ensure that all their Doctors are on collective contracts so that they can basically control the workplace. Now, if you and uh, Dr. Brass were in coalition at this moment, how would you be handling it or how could you have avoided it? I think New Zealand needs to relook at the way we fund and deliver our health services. We really have a system which is taxpayer-funded and when you look at around the world, countries like ours have got long waiting lists. Um, people can't get to see surgeon uh, specialists if they want to. It's a pretty hopeless system in terms of the needs of individual patients, except, of course, if you're in a critical situation where I think we probably rank amongst the world's best. But if you look at the ordinary needs of ordinary New Zealanders, it really doesn't meet their needs in the way that it should and I think what we should be doing is looking at an insurance based model. Many countries, your own I understand, have got that type of funding mechanism in place and it does seem to deliver better outcomes for everyone. Well let's hope so and uh, in the meantime our hearts go out to those 17,000 patients who've been sent home from hospital and let's hope uh, that uh, none of them have their lives compromised. Now let's uh, talk for a moment about your background. Now you and your husband Frank are into Kung Fu with the kids I understand. <laughs> yes, we uh, started Kung Fu a number of years ago uh, when our children were still at home and we did it as a family. Uh, the kids went off to university but Frank and I both uh, got our black belts and um, yeah, haven't had to use it though, unfortunately. Um, doubtless a valuable, valuable skill when you return to the New Zealand Parliament at the Beehive. Uh, but you've had an unusual uh, variety of uh, lifestyles and occupations as a farmer, as a uh, assistant general manager for the country for uh, Michael Hill Jewellers, which also is a very popular company in Australia, you might be interested to know. And uh, you're, you're presently uh, running the Northern Chamber of Commerce. So of those, uh, those, those and other occupations, which has been the most valuable for you from a political point of view? I think really um, getting involved in private enterprise and Michael Hill Jeweller. I joined when the company was just a small one private company with uh, four stores and really worked with Michael Hill as we took the company public and became you know, as listed on the New Zealand Stock Exchange, and the whole idea of doing that was to raise money to expand into Australia. When I left after nine years, the company had grown to about 100 stores, 
and of course it really is charging ahead as I understand it uh, with a presence now in Canada and I think they're looking at England as well. So it just taught me that a man with a vision and a good team around him can basically achieve anything. <laughs> and that was a very useful lesson to learn on a personal level. But then secondly, during that time, um, I became the president of the Northland Chamber of Commerce. Um, I am a former president of that. And again, it taught me a lot about the world of business, uh, what small business needs to be able to do well. And of course, if small business does well, then lots of people are employed there. They all get benefits. Um, the better the business does, the better they are rewarded. And same with shareholders. And so it becomes a win-win for a country. And I guess I've always been uh, in favour of countries that put economic growth at the forefront because the benefits to every citizen are just profound. I think that's a wise statement because for those who think that economic growth is some kind of magic that grows on trees and can be created by the waving of a socialist magic wand, they're always very seriously disappointed. And just on the, on the question of your uh, political background, uh, you had your, your uh, political career terminated for the moment by the uh, New Zealand electoral system. Uh, Australians, of course, are not familiar with the mixed-member proportional system, uh, which I think you abbreviate to MMP, which is an interesting combination of uh, constituencies and electoral uh, and political votes for a party. So you each get two votes in New Zealand. Would you like to explain that for those who uh, haven't had the benefit of living under MMP? Yes, uh, we adopted MMP, which, as I understand it, is based on the German electoral system, everybody does have two votes and the first vote is the party vote and they decide which political party best represents their viewpoint and their philosophy and then secondly they get to vote for the local member of parliament or the local candidate that they think would best represent their district and it's the result of that that gives us 65-66 electoral seats and the balance of the 120 MPs are made up with a list of votes for, from the political parties. Now, Act New Zealand was a basically a list party. We had uh, eight and nine MPs over the last nine years, but then at the last election, uh, we went right down to two MPs, and of course most of us had to find other day jobs. And uh, the reason for that is that we adopted the system whereby you have to, a party has to gain either a seat or 5% of the vote to be able to stay in Parliament. And we were in a position of having no electoral seats going into the last election, and we were rating us on about 3-4% in the polls, and so people worried that if they voted for ACT, their vote would be wasted. Um, because if they voted for ACT, they actually didn't want the present government to continue on. They wanted uh, a government that was not socialist. And so they ended up, many of them ended up by giving their vote to the National Party. In the event, our leader, Rodney Hyde, did win his seat. And all of our um, comments before the election about, you know, give your vote to ACT because we are going to win the seat um, went fell on deaf ears, really. People didn't believe that it was possible. Um, if 
they'd have realised that Rodney was going to win his seat, I think ACT would have ended up with probably four or five members of Parliament. Yes, so that's, that's a fair comment on the figures that I've got in front of me. But the, the 5.6% loss that you suffered uh, contributed to the uh, huge increase in the National Party vote uh, under Dr Don Brash, and of course he went, uh, his vote went up by 18%, which is uh, uh, quite a spectacular uh, figure, and uh, of course uh, gained 21 extra seats for the National Party, and you must be pleased that your votes contributed uh, to that big uh, step forward for Dr Brash. Yeah, it, it, it's a funny thing when you look at an election result like that, because um, it was so close, and the difference in direction between what would have happened under National with an ACT party there to support them and keep them on track and what we've got at the moment, which is a bit of a dog's breakfast, um, you know, it's chalk and cheese. And I look at New Zealand and see a beautiful little country down here that could be doing so much better. Our people could be so prosperous because we used to lead the world back in the 50s in terms of our standard of living. And now, of course, we've sunk way down the tables and all of these other countries that were poor are now far richer than us. And that's one of the problems, uh, or one of the reasons we have problems, for example, with our health system. It just can't keep pace with the needs or wishes, if you like, of the ordinary New Zealander. So a lot could be done to help this little country to shine again, you know? Of course, uh, one of the founders of ACT was Sir Roger Douglas, who uh, was very famous for Rogernomics, the first attempt to bring free enterprise into the political sphere in New Zealand. That's right, and Roger has been a huge force in politics through the ACT Party. In fact, most of us read his book, Unfinished Business, back you know, in the mid-90s and thought, look, he is providing a blueprint for a wonderful future for a country, but it takes a political party to be able to sell those ideas and to have the courage to stick by the convictions. And, you know, it was, it was really on the wave of that that ACT got itself into Parliament. I understand it's the only party anywhere in the world to have got into Parliament on its first go without having anybody there already, if you know what I mean. We we were a party on the outside, we campaigned hard, we had the vision of Roger Douglas and people supported us and, and so we made it. And it's really quite sad that over the years I think the party have lost its focus on that great vision that Roger had. Now please explain to us the, the system whereby a number of seats are reserved for Maori in New Zealand. I think it's seven now, is that right? Yes, well, it's sort of increasing all the time, really. Um, what happened was that in the mid-19, um, or 1800s, sorry, we had a situation where the people who could vote in New Zealand were males who owned land, had private property title. And the problem with that was that Maori have collective title for their land, and so they were disenfranchised by the early moves to an electoral system. And so Maori seats were established. The whole idea was that they would be temporary until, you know, it was all sorted out. Um, those temporary seats have lasted for well over a hundred years and look like they're not going to go away anytime soon. <laughs> um, various parties, including our own, think it's a complete anomaly that you have race-based seats in a mixed member proportional 
parliamentary system because under the MMP way, um, each party can have Māori representatives in Parliament. And so the Electoral Commission also did a study into it and, and basically said that the um, Māori seats have gone past their use-by dates and the system should be changed. But the Māori people who have the ear of government and a lot of other people in high places have campaigned relentlessly to keep them and to grow them. And at one time you could only vote on the Māori roll if you had over 50% Māori blood. That was changed in the uh, 70s, if I recall rightly. And, no, sorry, it was the 80s, uh, to if you had Māori ancestry. So, of course, you've got a lot of people who are voting on the Māori roll now who are more non-Māori than Māori. Uh, but they choose to vote that way, and they're essentially keeping race-based, um, a race-based system alive and well, and growing in New Zealand, which I think is a concern for the majority of New Zealanders. And of course, you also have the friends. Maori I'll party, just friends. I'll just need to uh, hop in there and uh, present a little word from our sponsor, if I may. Please. Thank you very much, Michael. Thank you, Muriel. Um, do you know that wonderful feeling when you get? When you walk into a room which is packed with books, shelves of books that cover the walls and reach up to the ceiling, or even to the very stars themselves, it fills your soul with hope. It stops you in your tracks. It makes you gasp at the glory of human genius. You feel thrilled to be alive, proud and honoured to be in the company of human knowledge across the centuries, across the millennia. Is there anything more glorious than a massive, lovingly put together library? A library is like a church, or perhaps it's how a church should feel. You browse the shelves and read the titles, and you purr like a big, luxurious cat. Oh my God, I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to walk with these giants. Behold, the complete works of Shakespeare. Neville Shute. Oh look, Ayn Rand's novel, The Fountainhead. I remember when I first read that masterpiece. Further on you browse. Benjamin Franklin's biography? Ah, I must read that one. I must own that book. The novels of Mark Twain. You chuckle as you remember that time when Tom Sawyer attended his own funeral. Whoa, there's Ludwig von Mises' masterwork, Human Action. Man, that was heavy reading. Yay for free market economics. Ah, this section of the library has illustrated books about classic Greek sculptures. And here's more history. Ooh, ah, physics, Einstein, Richard Feynman. And there's Isaac Newton's Mathematica Principia. What a fine, fine library this is. It could be mine. Oh, yes, it will be mine when I go online. Shop online for new and used books. Shop for rare books. Shop for great books. Build your library. Buy your books at iloveprodos.com. iloveprodos.com for the world's grandest collection of great books. Buy your books and build your library with the online megastore that shouts, we love capitalism. I love Protoss. Com. And now we cross back to the Derby Report on the Solid Vox Network, the voice of intellectual adventure. Over to you, Michael. 
Oh, thank you, Protoss. And there you have it. Build your library at iloveprotoss.com. And the defining characteristic of civilization is the written word. And iloveprotoss.com is uh, promoting the written word and proudly doing it with an alliance with the great capitalist tradition. Iloveprotoss.com. <laughs> and uh, back to New Zealand with Dr. Muriel Newman. Now, of course, uh, we, you, we've been talking about... Uh, the Maori seats reserved in the Parliament, but you also have the Maori Party, which contests seats and won four electoral seats at the last election. I think one of them is, one of them is described as an overhang seat. Can you explain how that works? Yes, if you end up with too many um, too many people being elected on the for the number of seats available, then you end up with more people in Parliament. I probably have an ex. ex- that very well, but it is an unusual situation where this time we have 121 seats in our parliament instead of 120, and it is an anomaly of the MNP system. A lot of people would like to see those Maori seats abolished, by the way. I think that is the critical issue, but the question is how do you go about doing it when you haven't got a majority of those parties in parliament to be able to force through legislation? And you've got a small party, the Maori Party, who can see an opportunity to build itself up to seven, eight, nine Maori seats over time if they can persuade anybody with any Maori ancestry to vote on the Maori role instead of the general role. And uh, so you look to the future of New Zealand and really it's quite depressing because you can see that race-based politics is here to stay. And I'm not sure how we change that an anomaly, I believe, in a modern, modern civilization. Well, clearly, uh, Act New Zealand as a free market liberal party, uh, of course, will reject race-based politics. And uh, so let's talk a little bit about uh, Act New Zealand. Uh, which, which of the definitions suits you best? Are you a classical liberal party or a libertarian party or a party of morality or all three? I really think that we are a classical liberal party, but we do have a problem in New Zealand with the word liberal, uh, because here a lot of New Zealanders link the word liberal to the American sort of socialist liberal, uh, morally liberal, and uh, so there was a move within our party to sort of change our branding to being a liberal party along the lines of the Australian Liberal Party, but all it did was cause huge confusion to be honest. Um, We are classical liberal in the fact that we believe in the free market and freedom and choice and all of those other great things. And we're the only party in Parliament actually that that walks that walk. Others talk the talk, but um, really we're the only ones that actually truly believe in that. Of course in Australia we have a similar problem of identity in the sense that Sir Robert Menzies uh, chose the term liberal to describe his party, which was at the time really a conservative party. And of course, in correspondence with uh, our American friends, we always have to uh, put in brackets after the word liberal party, bracket the party of Prime Minister John Howard, close bracket. Otherwise, uh, Americans have no idea what we're talking about. Now, let's, uh, let's mention some of the quotes for which you're very well known, and I'd like you to expand on them as you wish. Uh, and uh, let's start with... This, uh, this statement uh, for law and order. Whenever police are given resourcing and mandate to take a zero-tolerance approach, crime has fallen dramatically. Over to you. 
Yes, if you look at the experiments, if you like, in policing that have taken place uh, famously in New York and, and also in England to some extent, where the police took a zero-tolerance-to-crime approach, then what happened was that crime decreased. And the reason is that they targeted small crime because often it's the small-time criminals who actually then escalate their activity to more major crime. And if you catch them or nip them in the bus, then you prevent the, the harsher things happening later on. Um, in New York, as I understand it, the key was to actually have really, really good data. So every day they'd assemble all the police chiefs, they'd have a look and see where the hotspots were, they'd question the commanders, why is it that crime is out of control on the trains in X county or whatever it happened to be, and then they would deploy sort of forces, if you like, from one area of low crime to another area where crime was getting out of control, and they'd actually target people who were on bail committing crime, they'd target people who hadn't turned up for their uh, court appearances and so on. So they were actually very tough, and as a result, the criminals realised they couldn't get away with it, and uh, the risk of being caught was too great, so they either went out of that particular state, or they they ended up by um, not committing the crimes. And overall, it was good for everybody concerned except, I suppose, the criminals. There is a parallel here. If we let governments get away with minor crimes against individual liberty, it's only a matter of time before governments commit major crimes against individual liberty. Now, here's another quotation from Dr. Muriel Newman. Well-intentioned social policy is destroying the lives and hopes of too many families. Real welfare is about giving people a hand up to education, work and opportunity. Please expand. Yes, I think that our welfare system in New Zealand is a complete and utter disaster. Um, what's happened over the last probably 30 years is that we've trapped into an intergenerational cycle lots of families where all they look forward to is the girls going on the solo parent benefit, having babies and more babies and trying to raise them on their own, and, and the boys going on the dole. And I think to myself again that this is so destructive individually for them and their families, but also for the country. And a lot of that is because welfare has become an entitlement here. They think it's a right. Uh, the laws we passed in Parliament, which, boy, did we oppose, but of course the, uh, the Labour government had the numbers to pass them, means that oftentimes people can remain on welfare with no obligation to get a job. They, again, will say, oh, yes, they have to get a job, but the law doesn't allow them to uh, stop the benefit if they don't comply. And so we have uh, people, unfortunately, will take advantage of, of situations, and that's what we have created. I'm exploring a number of opportunities uh, out there and other, that other countries have shown works best, whereby you actually restrict the ability of people just to take money for nothing, and you require them to contribute something in return, and that is a stepping stone to them realising that it's easier, actually, if they go and get a job. And um, those countries, I think, do far better than we do. Now, following on from that, is it the case 
that New Zealanders of Maori ancestry are overrepresented in the prison system and are New Zealanders of Maori ancestry overrepresented in the social welfare system? And if so, how will the policies of Act New Zealand redress that? Uh, the answer to those questions is yes, they are overrepresented. Um, Maori make up around 13% of our population and yet over half of our prisoners are Maori. And if you look at uh, many of the benefit numbers, Maori are overrepresented, particularly in those sole parent statistics where I understand it's almost a half of all solo mums now, of the 100,000 or so that we've got, over half of them are now Maori. And it just appears to me that what has happened is that the system which has said to Maori, uh, look, the government is here to help. <laughs> um, it's actually done them no good at all. Uh, the, the fact that we have got special laws for Maori sends a signal that, you know, you can't handle it on your own. You need somebody else to prop you up. And so instead of people going back to their own resources and to their own families for support, uh, they basically said, oh, well, we'll let the government take care of us. And of course, in every country where that happens, we know it's simply a recipe for disaster in most cases. And the best thing we could do is to have one law for all in New Zealand where everybody is treated equally, to have no Māori seats, so there's no special privilege for Māori, so Māori know that they just have to get up in the morning and go out there and make it work for them. And that's the same as the incentives that operate for most New Zealanders, and if we had lower taxes, and some of those better systems to encourage little businesses to grow and expand and become more profitable, then I think you'd find, because Maori are very clever people, you would find that they uh, got out of all those negative statistics and did far better. But it's through their own devices, through their own enterprise, and not through the government. And it's the government systems that have trapped them and made it so bad for them. I'm reminded of another statement by your good self. New Zealand is a country where there should be no poverty. And, of course, that means uh, no poverty for uh, Maori and non-Maori alike. Now, another thing you've said is that there are 450,000 New Zealanders living in Australia. I played rugby here against many of them and with many of them, of course. And uh, with an estimated 660 a week moving west across the Tasman. Now, you've said that this is a result of growing despondency and gloom about the future of New Zealand. Is things getting better? No, it's called socialism. That's our problem. We've got a socialist government, and if people want to get ahead, uh, they say to themselves, where is the light at the end of the tunnel in New Zealand? And at the moment, there isn't one. And we've got a, a government that essentially doesn't understand business, um, most of the members of parliament have not been in small business. They don't understand what it's like to work 80 hours a week, to have all your money at risk, to have to pay wages uh, when your income is, is pretty flimsy. You know, they, they just don't understand that the barriers that face small business is just crippling. And if they did understand that small business is the engine room of an economy, and that what you should be doing is incentivising it in every way possible and making it easier for people to get ahead, 
then people wouldn't go to Australia because most of us grow up here, we love this country, it's in our veins. All we want, though, is to be able to have a decent standard of living for ourselves and our children. And if you can't make it here, then, you know, Australia is our neighbour and an ally, and so, okay, let's go and give it a, a chance there. I get emails every week uh, because the New Zealand Centre for Political Debate is a, is a web-based uh, site. Then I get emails from people who are saying, you know, we've just had a gut school, we're off to Aussie. We get emails from people in Australia saying, look, it's far better here. They actually care about us in this country, and I just feel sad to the core to think that, you know, this is what this government is doing to us. A couple of issues that uh, we should touch upon. Uh, in Australia, we have an active Republican movement. Uh, is there an equivalent in New Zealand, or do you feel that uh, both parties, even the socialists, um, are happy to maintain New Zealand's traditional ties with the Crown? I think that there are people who would like to see a change. There's no doubt about that. Um, but there's something that stands in the way, and that is that if we did change our system, People are very frightened of what the consequences would be for the Treaty of Waitangi. <laughs> the Treaty of Waitangi is called our founding document. It's the power base that is giving Maori privilege in this country. And it's also a system that actually is, has created a grievance industry and makes this generation of New Zealanders pay massively for things that happened 150 years ago. And people are worried that if we do change the system, then somehow the treaty will become bigger and, and stronger. And so because of that fear, um, I think a lot of people who possibly would like to change the ties with Britain are probably sort of happy just to let things go at the moment um, because of that great unknown. Of course, uh, Australians are uh, friends, unaccustomed. I'll just, I'll just need to uh, hop in there and uh, interrupt this fascinating discussion with another ad from our sponsor. Please, more ads. <laughs> Thank you, Michael Darby. Thank you, Dr. Muriel Newman. You're listening to the Darby Report on the Solid Vox Network. And just a message from our sponsor. Become a walking, talking billboard for global freedom creative thinking and prosperity. You can now purchase your high-quality Celebrate Capitalism t-shirts online now by visiting iloveprodos.com. On the front of your Celebrate Capitalism t-shirt, it reads, For the love of freedom and the glory of human creativity, Celebrate Capitalism. On the back of your Celebrate Capitalism t-shirt, it reads, I own my life, and lists seven great thinkers, Aristotle, Ayn Rand, John Locke, Adam Smith, Thomas Jefferson, Frederick Bastiat, Ludwig von Mises, and what a great gift idea. Get one for yourself and get a few more to send to your friends and colleagues. Spread the word. Join the worldwide campaign today. Promote freedom and creative thinking. Your Celebrate Capitalism t-shirt and other groovy merchandise is available now. You'll love the online megastore that shouts, We love capitalism. Shop online at iloveprodos.com and we cross back to the Derby Report on the Solid Vox Network, the voice of intellectual adventure.
Yes, iloveprotoss.com. What a website. You can get almost <laughs> anything there. And in fact, uh, Dr. Muriel's uh, husband, Frank, was well known for selling her T-shirts, the length and breadth of New Zealand <laughs> in the uh, last election campaign. And we've already discussed uh, how that wasn't uh, particularly successful for Act New Zealand, but Act New Zealand contributed to a very large uh, growth in the vote for Dr. Don Brash. Uh, still the leader of the opposition and possibly the premier of news the prime minister of new zealand after the next election now on the subject of new zealand uh, electoral systems uh, dr muriel newman uh, in australia of course we have a bicameral system with two chambers of parliament in the federal parliament and in all states except queensland in new zealand now with your present system you tend to combine some of the elements of both of our chambers by having a direct election of individual parliamentarians and a proportional representation system which brings uh, your uh, party votes uh, together as uh, for additional parliamentarians. Uh, that's the system, of course, which we use uh, generally for the election of our, our upper houses. Now, is there any move in New Zealand for a bicameral system, perhaps with a New Zealand Senate? There hasn't been as far as I'm aware, although people do look at Australia and think that it works quite well, seems to work quite well, but I haven't actually seen a, a sort of an organised move to try to change to that system. My own uh, view on it is after visiting Australia and, and having a look at what you've got there, is that it does give a sort of a, a second layer of, of watchdog protection, if you like, for the public. And in a way, I think it would be worth our while exploring it. Um, but I have to say that there isn't such a move alive and well at the moment. Now, just as a, as a thought along those lines, if New Zealand feels, from a popular point of view, that it's very difficult to shake that commitment to dedicated seats for Maori, the place for such dedicated seats is in fact in the House of Review. And uh, if one is thinking of uh, trying to sell a bicameral system to the New Zealand people, the idea of getting the uh, dedicated Maori seats out of the House of Representatives and into a Senate might possibly be a selling point. Another thing you can do with the Senate uh, is uh, to uh, guarantee that half the number of senators are male and half are female. Just, uh, not that we've done that in Australia, but it, uh, it, then that removes any of the, uh, the pressures that exist, at least in this country, in political parties for some kind of female quota in the uh, parliament. Now, speaking of females in parliament, New Zealand is the, was the first country in the world which gave the vote to women. And uh, that's a, uh, a subject of a very of a poem full of praise by Australia's greatest poet, Henry Lawson, who uh, was so impressed with uh, New Zealand uh, where he taught school for a while uh, because of New Zealand's uh, early commitment to female suffrage. Have you got something to say about that? Uh, I, th I think New Zealand is a, a little country, as I said before, that, that has got some hugely innovative people and some... And a lot of people who, who are very wise. And because we're so small, we can make things happen pretty quickly. And that has always been a, an advantage for us. And that's why I keep coming back to this point that 
we should be a little country that leads the world in lots of things. You know, individuals do that. And as you say, we've made marks internationally with, in a number of ways, such as giving women the vote first and climbing Mount Everest first and just all sorts of things. And it just saddens me that that leading ability that we have as a country is being stymied at the moment because our economy is dragging us down and New Zealand is finding itself not a prosperous country, so people, good people, are leaving to find better opportunities overseas and doing their great things for other countries now. And it is a source of sadness here. Now, on that issue, uh, just in the last week, you've had a major power blackout, blackout in Auckland. And, of course, uh, this is connected uh, in the minds of most Australians with New Zealand's uh, utter rejection of nuclear energy. Is there any prospect that uh, New Zealand may cease being precious about nuclear energy and uh, move in the direction of getting some of your electricity generated by nuclear power? Look, to be quite honest, I can't see it happening um, in the next few years, but I can say that there was a plan to actually build a nuclear power station north of Auckland back in the 70s. And nowadays, people are talking a lot more about it as we lurch from one power crisis to another. Uh, people are saying, look, this is simply not good enough, and maybe we need to revisit that whole idea. Um, there's also quite a, a changing view about the non-nuclear stand that we have as far as defence is concerned, um, whereby, you know, the reality is that a lot of New Zealanders are quite relaxed about the idea of nuclear-powered ships coming into New Zealand waters. Um, but that hasn't been tested in a referendum or anything like that. I think the uh, opposition to it would whip up a frenzy <laughs> of uh, protests again. Um, but I think it's fair to say that, that we are becoming much more realistic about nuclear issues now than, than we have been in the past. I'm glad you raised that because you did refer to uh, New Zealand as Australia's ally. And, of course, that alliance goes back a very long way, but has indeed been compromised by uh, New Zealand's uh, apparent hostility to our other, other ally, the United States of America. And that goes back to the sort of uh, student days of uh, later uh, Prime Minister Longy, who was uh, so uh, vehemently opposed uh, to uh, uh, nuclear weaponry, nuclear power, and uh, almost anything nuclear. And that's... Uh, sort of set a seal on New Zealand, which does need to be broken down the track. Let's uh, talk I think actually we have to grow up. I think that's the reality. You know, a lot of these ideas were, were sort of um, popular, you know, a number of years ago, and uh, the world's moved on, and we have to do that as well. Well, New Zealand uh, may need to grow up, but uh, it will always remain an absolutely wonderful country to visit, and uh, it might be a good idea for us to put a commercial in for those Australians who haven't yet been to New Zealand, you really are missing out on something. And uh, the fact that uh, you may be familiar with many New Zealanders in Australia who succeed here as uh, wonderfully successful entrepreneurs might be an encouragement to go and uh, see the place where some of them come from. Now let's uh, talk about the tax situation in uh, in uh, New Zealand. I think somebody, it may have been yourself, attributed to uh, Prime Minister Helen Clark the statement, there is a place for tax cuts and it's called Australia. <laughs> is, is, 
It was Don Brash who said that. That was that the man. Now, uh, um, you've got a uh, finance minister named Michael Cullen, and uh, he's been uh, toying with the idea of personal income tax cuts. What's the uh, what's the likely uh, scenario for the immediate future? There is no chance of it right now. He might do something before the next election uh, to try and, and win some support. The tax rates in New Zealand, the top tax, tax rate is 39 cents in the dollar, but it kicks in at a very low income level of 60,000 New Zealand dollars. And so what that means is that a large portion of middle income New Zealand is paying tax at the top rate, and then of course we've got GST on top of that, local body taxes, and so basically half of the income of many New Zealanders goes away from their pay packets every week, and it just makes it hard for everyone. So we would like, I personally would like to see New Zealand move to a low flat tax. It's been the uh, force that has created prosperity in many countries around the world, and I just can't for the life of me see why we don't explore it properly in New Zealand. Well, Estonia is one country that's... Uh it's on a low rate flat tax and, uh, and Russia also mm. uh, and uh, flat tax is of course a very constructive way to go what the uh, the advocate, advocates of high taxation seem to uh, fail to understand is that if you take taxation out of the hands of people who are competent decision makers and put those funds in the hands of government then uh, nothing can be uh, can come to the country as a benefit um, and uh, there is a very strong case for saying that all taxation by whichever means it is levied generates a good demand for government expenditure greater than the net amount of tax received. So perhaps, all, right. perhaps all tax is futile in any case. But, but I think too we've got to uh, factor in um, the fact that what, what is it, 40-47% of all money that is collected by the government and then used to provide services, 47% uh, is actually wasted through the deadweight cost of taxation. And so you don't even get value for money. You know, this is the strong argument and the common sense point of view for saying, you know, blow it, just let the people keep the money and, and um, use it, make the choices themselves. Exactly, because taxation uh, reduces decision-making power just as it reduces purchasing power because the two are so closely linked. Well, unfortunately, folks, uh, we're coming to the end of the show. Um, we're here on the Derby Report uh, with Michael Darby, who's been speaking with Dr. Muriel Newman. Uh, Michael, you mentioned uh, Muriel's web address. Yes, I'd like to, yeah. like to mention now, that again. Yeah, Michael, it's um, the best one, though, is www.nzcpd.com. NZCPD. Yeah, the New Zealand Centre for Political Debate. So it's nzcpd.com. That is the best one too. And we'll make sure there's a link to that uh, where you're listening, uh, dear listeners. Um, so when you go to the, when you, as you're listening to this, you'll find the link directly there to nzcpd.com. D for debate. Yeah. Ah, yeah. New Zealand Centre for Political Debate. Hmm, I like that. Well, what a pleasure it's been. Uh, discussing uh, the future of New Zealand with uh, Dr Muriel Newman of the New Zealand Centre for Political Debate. Thank you, Prados, for making this possible. And A thank pleasure. you to all from the Derby Report.